And we're, we're in this series called Bittersweet, um, and we're going to be talking about um, the, the ideas of, like, betrayal. Um, we're going to be talking about bitterness, and we're going to be talking about forgiveness. And really, this is a, uh, a series that's going to march us right up to Easter, um, and all those issues really show up in the Easter story um, for real. Um, can I ask you a question? Um, why do you think we like to get people back <laughs> when they hurt us? What is it about that? There's a, there's a, it, and obviously we're going to need to be careful about our answers here, but do you have an answer? It's going to sound bad, but because it feels good. Because it feels good. Because it feels good. Anyone else like, yeah, I agree with that a little bit, okay? I want to kind of bump up against that and maybe just talk about it. Ooh, who they were before they heard us, yeah. Anyone else, yeah? Yeah, 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 for sure. There's, there is something in us. I don't know that maybe you haven't thought about that. Like, I wonder what it is inside of me that when someone hurts me, I like to get them back. Um, I actually did a little bit of research on this. And I found a video, and I kind of edited it down to its shortest form, and I would love to show you if you turn your attention to the screens. Have you ever been wronged and wished you could punish the perpetrator? This desire is wired within us. A group of Swiss researchers wanted to know what happens in the brain when someone reaps revenge. They scanned the brains of people who had just been wronged during a game in the lab. The researchers then gave the wronged participant a chance to punish the other person. And for a full minute, as the victims contemplated revenge, their activity was recorded in their brain. Researchers noticed a rush of neural activity in the caudate nucleus. This is the part of the brain known to process rewards. In other words, the study found that revenge in the moment is quite rewarding. But what about after the fact? Does revenge keep rewarding? One might think that exacting revenge is a form of emotional release, that it's a way to feel better and gain closure after a wrong. But in fact, revenge has the opposite effect. Even though the first few moments feel rewarding, psychological scientists have found that instead of quenching hostility, revenge prolongs the unpleasantness of the original offense. And instead of delivering justice, it often creates only a cycle of retaliation. Philosopher Francis Bacon said, a man that studieth revenge keeps his own wounds green, which otherwise would heal. Why is this important for us? Revenge reopens and aggravates your emotional wounds. Even though you might be tempted to punish a wrong, you end up punishing yourself because you can't heal. Okay, so that last line kind of haunts me a little bit. We punish ourselves because we can't heal. So now, I just want to go ahead and say something out loud. I'm not a fan of hiding stuff so that you can just get the good news. Um, I, I want to call something out in that video. Um, revenge in your brain feels good right off the bat, right? So you weren't wrong, right? S science backs that up. But then here's what's interesting. I don't know what kind of shows and movies you've watched, but whenever I happen to run across moments of revenge in shows or movies, do you know what ends up happening? She talked about it. It starts this cycle of retaliation. And so if I am hurt by someone, and then I'm like, well, I'm going to get them back, and I start plotting and scheming, and then I get them back, and then there's something inside of me that feels like, 
Ah, isn't it funny in movies and shows, what is the, like, there's, there's a moment, uh, there's a person who's thinking uh, rationally, and what do they always say? It's not going to make you feel better, right? Isn't that like, or like, if someone, if someone hurt my friend, it's not going to unhurt that person if you hurt them, right? And so it start, but it starts this like retaliation. And so if someone hurts you in school, right? And you're like hurt and you're like, oh, like I want them to feel pain too. And so you go hurt them. What do you think? What they're like, oh, they got me and it's over and I'll never hurt that person ever again. No one ever says that, right? It's like, I'm gonna hurt them back again. And then it's like, boom, boom, boom. And it's this ping pong match of back and forth because we're humans and we all suffer from this desire uh, to get people back when they hurt us. Um, but isn't it true that Christians like, shouldn't live that way? Of course, right? The general idea of a Christian is that we're kind and compassionate, and if someone hurts us, that we're not going to get them back. But that doesn't show up in real life for a lot of us. It doesn't show up in real life for me because I'll just be honest with you. Um, I've, I've hopefully always been honest with you. When someone hurts me, there's kind of a gut reaction. There's a gut response. It's just like, I want to inflict pain on this person, right? I mean, do you feel that? And then eventually, right, I'm doing my devotion. I'm like, I shouldn't hurt that person or I should just let it go or whatever. But so then that internal battle starts to happen. Now, one thing that I will always, always tell you, it's the whole reason we did the habit series the end of last year that I was talking earlier about the spiritual disciplines. Like maybe the keystone verse of that is, there's a verse in Psalm, I think it's 111, 109, it's 105 or something like that, that I've hid my heart, I hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so I always think about those verses that I've memorized, that I've kind of tucked deep away, that maybe in those moments that will trigger like, okay, maybe I don't need to respond, you know, in, in, in anger. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 is going to talk about this in a very specific way, and it's going to give us an answer that I think is going to shed light on um, maybe why we shouldn't respond this way. Okay, so this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and I just kind of want to give this to you. This is like four or five verses just to encourage you. Go, go by verse by verse. Therefore, if anyone, in, if anyone is in Christ, which by the way, what does in Christ mean? In Christ means someone has placed their faith in Jesus. They are a Christian. So is everyone in the world in Christ? No, because not everyone is a Christian, right? So that's, that's kind of obvious. What we're doing is we're talking to Christians in the room. If you're not a Christian in the room, as I always say, I'm so thankful that you're here. I hope you're having fun. I hope you enjoy yourself. Um, this uh, verse specifically is going to be talking to Christians. Now, we can all probably learn something from it. We're not trying to cut you out. We're just trying to say the Christians are the one that have this like responsibility to follow the word, okay? And so where we're at here is we're talking to Christians. If Anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. This is great. The old has passed away. The new, the new has come. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ, through Jesus, he reconciled us to himself. What does that word reconciled mean? Anyone know what that word means? That's like a big word that you probably didn't use today with your friends. Anyone want to take a, sh a shot at what that means? Anyone know? So it's like a banking term, Really? So if you, um, if you, any of you like have like one of those debit cards that your parents give you from their checking, so there's a little bit of like, 
Um, a, a, a debit card is, is something that you like, you have to have money in your account and then you can go spend it, right? Which is different from a credit card, which is you have no, it's not, it's not a money, it's not, it's not a money account. It's like you go spend it and then they send you a bill and they're like, hey, you got to pay us back, okay? So reconciling is a financial term that just says, hey, this much money came in and this much money came out and we have reconciled these things. Um, so if I were to have a bank statement, I really enjoy um, shopping for things. What's your favorite thing to shop for? Clothes. Okay. <laughs> There's a close. There's a, that was really fast. Um, so if I'm like shopping, what's your favorite store to shop at? Target. Target. Okay. Awesome. Target. Um, so if I go shopping at Target and let's say I spend $100, but, but, in, but then my wife looks at the statement and I'm like, hey, I, pro- I promise I just spent $100. But she's like, over here, the bank statement says you spent $250. And so there's $150 worth of lies that you're telling me um, that don't, they're, they're not reconciled. The two don't match. So I'm like, well, I have these receipts for $100. Um, but truly what, what happened? Why well, I spent $250? Because my bank statement reflects that. And so when you're banking and everything, you bring those things together. Now, what is Jesus reconciling us? I mean, is that our bank account is reconciled? No. It means that we broke the relationship when we sinned, right? We all kind of participated in sin. We're all sinners, right? When Adam and Eve ate the fruit as rebellion against God in the Garden of Eden, right? Sin fractured all of our relationships with God. That's why we were kicked out of the Garden Garden of Eden, and that's why Jesus had to come and pay the price by dying on the cross, right? He paid for all of our sins. And essentially, he made it possible for us to be reconciled with God, for us to be made right with God, right? So our sin was paid for by his death on the cross. That's reconciliation. So all of this is from God, right? The old has passed away, the new has come. Jesus made this possible by his death on the cross. He reconciled us to himself. And then what? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This right here, is like varsity level student ministry teaching, okay? So I want you to maybe sit up um, and focus uh, because here's something that I really want you to kind of let sink into your brain and into your heart. Um, God gave us here, can we go back? Verse 18 is gonna say that all of this new, right? This, the old has passed away, the new's come. That was something that Jesus gave us and then he gave us salvation, He made it possible for us to be back with him, right? So I'm a Christian. I found myself in Christ, and I've been reconciled with God. Now, is is the story over? No. Because when I got saved as a teenager, I didn't go straight to heaven, did I? Obviously not. Um, I am still here. So I became a Christian. I was reconciled with God. And then what? I I was given the ministry of reconciliation, what does that mean? Well, let's keep reading. Verse, verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not, not counting their trespasses against them. This is the forgiveness and the compassion and the love of God. Right? We, while we were sinning, Christ died for us, right? So he's not counting our trespasses against us, but he is entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You might even say, he's entrusted to me, literally right now, to pass something down to you, the message of reconciliation. That's what church is. That's what preaching is. We're saying, hey, you can be reconciled to God. 
And it's as simple as this. We try to boil it all the way down because the Bible talks about it in lots of different ways. But in a very particular way, it just says, if you believe that Jesus was the Son of God and that he died on the cross to save you from your sins, that you'll be saved, right? If you place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, then you become a Christian, right? All kinds of things happen in that moment. The Holy Spirit comes inside of you, right? Your sin has been paid for. You've been washed clean. And then, you know what's awesome? Is that you have been given the message of reconciliation to give to other people too. Because if you had the cure for cancer and you kept it to yourself, would that be like a good thing or would that be like a selfish thing, right? That would even be like, that would even be maybe like, well, maybe if I have the cure for cancer, I just hold it to myself, but then maybe I can make a bunch of money off. No, that's not what we're after here. We're trying to save lives here, right? There's people out there that are dying and going to hell. And so like, yeah, if I'm passionate about how I've been reconciled, then yeah, I gotta be, I gotta give this message of reconciliation too. So I'm an ambassador. In fact, verse 20 says that word ambassador. We are ambassadors for Christ. You know what an ambassador is? There's lots of, lots of words in the Bible, and I'm like, oh, I don't know what that understands. I'm here to tell you. A representative. A representative, exactly. So we have ambassadors in our government that go over to other country governments, and what they, who do they represent? They represent us, right? They represent that technically they represent like our president and our government and our way of life and our values and all of that. Now, if, if a representative or if an ambassador of the U.S. went to a country that we were not friends with and that ambassador says, hey, don't listen to the president, right? I got a message. I want to do a little secret deal with you. Would that be a real ambassador? No. Can I just say for just a moment, there's a lot of people that have been saved right? Their sin has been paid for. One day they're going to go to heaven, but they have found no interest in being an ambassador of the kingdom to this world. Now that doesn't match up. That doesn't match up. That's like me being ambassador for U.S. and going over to a country and being like, hey, don't listen to them. Like, I've got a, I've got a little secret deal we're going to make, right? That's not, that's not good. That's not being an ambassador. And I'll just tell you this. Mark's not saying you're an ambassador. Mark's not saying you're entrusted with the message of reconciliation. This is just scripture. This is just God talking to us. I love verse 21. It's my favorite. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. And you're like, slow down, Mark. That's a lot of he who knew no sin. He who knew no sin to be sin. Who's that? Jesus. He knew no sin. He was not a sinner. He was perfect. He was Fully man, and he was fully God, and he rejected all opportunity of sin, even though he was tempted, just like we were. So, so God gave him an opportunity to sin, but Jesus rejected it, right? God, Jesus came down to be the perfect sacrifice for us. And he did that so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you know what that means? This is, this is amazing. When Jesus died on the cross... He took all of the sin on him, right? That's why there's this one little moment that if you see that, that there was this uh, moment where Jesus says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because he, he felt like a, a separation in that moment from, from God. Why did he feel that separation? Because the world's sin, past, present, and future, was saddled on Jesus in that moment. 
was saddled on Jesus. Everything we've ever done, everything we'll ever do was saddled on Jesus in that moment. And in that moment, Jesus died. It is finished. But then three days later, rises again. What happens to that sin that he died with? He defeated it. It wasn't just that, oh, he did this really cool thing where he rose from the grave. No, no, no. He took the sin into the grave and he left it there. He left it there. And now he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, totally proven, right, that everyone who doubted, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. So when I place my faith in Jesus, this is amazing. When me, as a 15-year-old high schooler in my bedroom, I'm just like, on my knees, just like, Lord, I don't want to live life on my own anymore. I just want to find myself in you. I don't want, I was talking with a college student yesterday, and she said there was this moment in her life where she said, I'm sick and tired of being lukewarm. I want to be a Christ follower forever. This is the new me. And it was like this, like the old has passed away, and the new has come. I was like, whoa, like the power of this girl proclaiming her faith in Jesus, right? That's what happened. So when I placed my faith in Jesus, do you know what happened? He washed all that sin away. Is it, am I perfect now? No, because I've probably sinned a million times today. But that sin has been paid for. So now, there's been this huge exchange, this huge trade. So Jesus, who got all my, all my crap, right, when he was dying on the cross, all my sin, all my betrayal, all my ugliness, he took it all. And then what did he give to me? His righteousness his righteousness, his perfection. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees the righteousness that Jesus purchased for me. That is what salvation is. I think some people get it twisted. Oh, Christians, you know, they think they're holier than thou or whatever. No, we don't. We know we're jacked up. We're thankful, right? Because God has given us grace. He saved us by grace. We're thankful. Surely we're not perfect. Surely we can be judgmental. I get it. But listen, we first and foremost, understand that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And so what does this have to do with bitterness and betrayal and forgiveness? Well, it means that instead of choosing to just like go after and hurt somebody, what do we got to do? We got to remember our mindset. Hey, Christians in the room, we're ambassadors, right? It can't just be like, I'm going to weaponize something against you. I'm going to hurt you, right? I'm going to gossip about you. I'm going to fling one back at you. I'm going to tap back. I'm going to, I'm going to tell people about you. I'm going to gossip about you, right? I, none of that matches up with ambassadors. None of it. None of it. And so, Christians, I just want to call you out. I want to call myself out when we're tempted to live that life. Let me give you five questions. These are just meant to be like a little check-in for you to kind of decide if you struggle in this area. First, do you have arguments with someone in your head? <laughs> the ones who are giggling um, are saying yes. Um, and I actually, when I wrote this, the reason this is number one is because this is me 101. When I'm struggling with someone, I'll like rehearse an argument in my head. And now I ask this, anyone, anyone else with me? Am I alone? <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I'm not alone. I saw so many people be like, it me, <laughs> it me. Yeah, and I wrote this because this is me, and I'm like, what in the world am I doing here? First of all, am I harboring bitterness? Am I holding on to it? 
I think I am. Second question, are you giving a close friend or family member the silent treatment? Yeah. Because what is it? Sometimes the silent treatment is just a, I don't know how to handle that we have a broken relationship right now. Don't you love it? Don't you love it, honestly, when someone that you have tension with comes to you and says, hey, I'm sorry, I messed up. Because doesn't that disarm everything? And then, and then, you, and then you don't have to like be all bowed up, right? Because the walls are down, right? This is what I think Christians ought to be better at, is just to be like, hey, I messed up. Will you forgive me? Because, <laughs> and if you're the kind of person that's like, no, like, <laughs> you're a special kind of person, right? Like, that disarms the moment, right? We got, we got to be able to, to give them a break in that moment. Do you talk badly about someone behind their back? Oh, it's getting even more real. <laughs> yeah. This is called gossip, and it's not healthy. I'll tell you this one. This one will hurt the church in a big way. This one will hurt our witness to the community in a big way. Does this find itself in a unified church ever? No. Fourth question I wrote down. Do you screenshot someone's post and send it to someone else to make snarky comments about them? Who, who's nervous right now? <laughs> yeah. Look at this idiot. Some of you are like, I don't have social media. If you had social media, would you do it? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Last question. Do you think about the ways that you could pay someone back for what they did to you? Especially if it was a long time ago. It's, uh, it's all of us. Can we just be really like truthful with each other? It's all of us. It's all of us. And so I do find it interesting that we all want forgiveness. It's interesting. When we're hurt, we want the justice. When we're the one that does the hurting, we want the forgiveness. So can, can, we, want, can we want both? You know what justice is? Because justice isn't like, hey, you hurt me, and like I'm just going to kind of forget. Forgive and forget is not a thing. I don't care who you are. Like, forgive and forget is not a thing. It's very difficult and in most cases impossible to just wholesale forget. And so what would it look like, though, for us to be better at the forgiving part? Hey, you hurt me. I'm probably not going to forget it, but I do forgive you. And can I just encourage you that forgiving is something that's not like, Words that you can't mean in your heart. If you're the kind of person who, and I, this, is, this is kind of the easy way out, where like you forgive them with your mouth, but then your heart still is bitter, have you forgiven them? No. That's why when I have a moment where I'm tempted to say I forgive you, I, like, I double check myself in that moment. I'm like, am I saying that because they're standing in front of me like waiting to be rescued? With this, I forgive you. And because I feel bad, I'm saying I forgive you. Or have I really forgiven them in my heart? That's a heart decision, not a word decision. Right? Now, listen. You are 
teenagers, and you are likely going to encounter these issues tomorrow or even tonight, right? You're going to be tempted to snap back at somebody. You're going to be tempted to want to hurt someone. You're going to be tempted to weaponize your words. And I just want to call us back to 2 Corinthians 5. We're ambassadors for the kingdom, and we ought to be focused on what he wants for us. Uh, I'm going to read these last verses, um, and then we're going we're to close up shop. Um, Colossians chapter 3, um, verses 12 through 14. Put on, then, and let me just pause there for a second. Put on means like choose to do these things. Choose to use these tools. Choose to be this kind of person. It's not just accidental, and it's not automatic. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Verse 13, bearing with one another. You know what bearing with one another means? When they're going through a tough time and they haven't quite figured it out, be patient and not help them bear the load, right? Help them bear that load. And if one has a complaint against another, we forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. If God's forgiven us, we have no business harboring bitterness towards other people and refusing to forgive. We have no business doing that. So let me just call us up. Like I said, it's varsity. Is anyone in here like, oh, this is easy. I can do this like from now on forever, like perfectly. Nope. Because you know what? I can't. I can't. So I understand that it's difficult. But I want to call us up. Let's, rem- let's remember these words. All right? I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for giving us these words. Lord, I pray that you would just remind us of these things. Lord, sink these words into our hearts so that we can remember. There's that, I've hidden my word, hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I want to be reminded of these things as I'm encountering difficult times. Lord, it's in your name I pray. Amen.